Hello and welcome to the CEO Blind Spots Show, where leaders reveal their blind spots and best practices. I'm your host, Birgit Camps, and today's guest is Darren Jacklin, who led a small private company to an internationally recognized publicly traded company on the NASDAQ and currently sits on advisory boards of public and private companies. Darren is also a speaker and has been a trainer for over 150 of the Fortune 500 companies, including Microsoft and AT&T. And Darren, you are a philanthropist, and you've had quite a story of rags to riches. And it included some suicide attempts and a car accident that nearly ended your life in the early 20s. So it is really my pleasure and privilege to welcome you to the show, Darren. I'm grateful to be here to be in service. Thank you. I know from talking with you before that you attribute a lot of your success to a mentor named Sue, but what would you say, in your words, are the one or two best practices that you've implemented to get you from where you were to where you are today? Great question. One of the big breakthroughs that I had in my personal professional life was that if things are not scheduled and structured into my calendar, They don't exist in my life. Many times in my 20s, early 30s, I would be wanting to do all these different things. And whether it was in business, revenue generating activities, follow-up phone calls, prospecting, networking, recruiting, going out meeting and greeting people, attending social events, doing fun hobbies, going hiking. And what happened was time just got away on me because I was busy, busy building my company, right? Busy, go, 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 go all the time. So if it's not structured and scheduled in your calendar, it does not exist in your life. So everything that you want to do in your life, you need to have evidence that it's in a calendar. Mm. Well, then that's the next question then is, how did you keep or honor what was in your calendar? Key thing is protecting your time. As you grow and scale, more and more people are going to become visibly aware of you because you create more visibility, more exposure. And so the key thing is more and more people want access to you. And so you have to qualify your time. And that's the key principle is qualifying your time. Is this the best and highest use of my time? So when somebody wants to meet with you virtually or in person, is this the best and highest use of my time? And then also too, throughout the waking hours of your day, are these high leveraged activities that I'm doing that serve my value system or are they low priority activities? that do not serve my value system. Can I have somebody else? Like, for example, today, I've got lots of stuff going on with my group of companies. I've got other people taking meetings for me because they're not the best and highest use of my time. And I'm also taking meetings on Zoom video conferencing and telephone calls, but they're the best highest use of my time. Other calls are getting delegated and then I just get a briefing or a one-page executive summary by an email or a one-page Google document that gets sent to me just with bullet points of what the meeting was captured on. Wow, I'm already learning some tips. And uh, again, it sounds like you're just so massively successful. And I know that you were actually already an entrepreneur at age seven because you started the rent-a-kid business where you would go and tell people you would shovel snow on the sidewalks, mow lawns, deliver papers. But were you always clear that you wanted to be in business or did that come from the tough situation you were in early in life? I know you had a a sister that died at the age of four when you were one and you were diagnosed with ADD. I don't know whether you think that that was correct or not, but can you say a little bit more about how much was your drive to want to succeed or your vision part of your success? Sure. First of all, school was very boring to me. I just didn't fit into the academic world. I was a daydreamer. I was a kid that was out there wanting to do things. I was always on the run. Another thing is what I realized at a very young age And I don't know where this came to me from, but as a human being, all we are is a network of conversations. 
All we are is a network of conversations from human being to human being. And anything that we want in our life is going to come from strangers. And one of the things I discovered was where am I not requesting in my life? Because remember that actions live inside of promises and requests. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So one of the key things that I discovered at a very young age is what do I give my word to? What am I promising in my life? What am I committed to in my life? What goal or dream or desire or wish do I have in my life? Throw my hat over the fence, make the promise, make that commitment, and then get into action and talk to other people and make requests. Because for every question that we don't ask, the answer is always no. And when we make a request to a stranger or somebody that we know, that individual or person is only going to do one of three things. They're going to accept the request, decline the request, or counteroffer the request. But you got to make the request. Like when I was building my corporate training business, the FedEx driver, the UPS driver, the DHL driver would come to my home. I would build relationship equity, another key principle, build relationship equity by becoming relational rather than versus transactional. Mm. Most people, I'll give an example. Before we did this interview today, I went to my LinkedIn account. I had three friend requests on LinkedIn. I accepted the three requests. Boom, two out of the three people private messaged me through the messaging system on LinkedIn, pitching me their product or service. One was a cryptocurrency thing, which I deleted. The other thing wanted me to invest $100,000 into some startup company that was conceptual. Deleted it. Why do I delete those messages? Because there's no relationship equity being built. It's transactional. This mm. person is trying to take from me versus contribute and build up that relationship equity over a period of time so I get to know them, like them, and trust them. Mm, yes. Thank you for sharing that piece too, because this is seems to me like this is becoming more and more of a transactional world. And part of what drove this podcast and why I'm grateful you're here is because it's also tougher and tougher to have people do mentoring and best in a relationship. So I know you had a mentor early in life. Did you have any leadership blind spots that you discovered along the way of your path? Absolutely. I'm a highly functioning, action-oriented person. I like to get things done, make things happen. I get impatient. And one of the big breakthroughs that I discovered in my leadership leadership is a blind spot is what I discovered was that many goals do not require my actions. It was a huge blind spot for me. Many of my goals do not require my actions. I want to be in control. I want to do it all myself. Uh, I, I wasn't a team player. In fact, an inauthenticity about myself was I was pretending that I was a team player. In fact, I wasn't. Mm -hmm. How do I know that? My life demonstrates it. My behavior never lies. And you can look at there's evidence all around me. So I discovered that the key thing is, is to delegate responsibility, but maintain control and start to create teams to create teamwork. And by doing that, you know, I can work smarter rather than work harder. And so when I would go into, you know, meetings virtually or in person with teams that I started to build, I followed a step-by-step -step process called TAPO, which is the time. How much time do we need for this meeting? The A is what's the agenda, P is the purpose, and the O is the outcome. So T-A-P-O, time, agenda, purpose, outcome. When people are doing virtual meetings, telephone meetings, or in-person meetings, if you do not have a meeting agenda, you're not qualifying your time because people will, will rob you of your time. People will just keep going on and on and on. So, so before I take a meeting, what's the meeting agenda? Who are the meeting attendees? And I can qualify my time to see if I'm supposed to take that meeting or delegate to somebody else or not even do the meeting at all. And you'll find that people, especially if you're an investor or you're, you're out there building the business, you're going to raise money or whatever it is, people will want to get onto your schedule, into your calendar, and they're just going to want to collaborate with you. But then you follow up with them, there's no action, right? Mm. So I always qualify, why do you want to know this? And people are like, oh, I just want more information. Well, you can research online. You can go watch YouTube videos. Yeah, I hear you. 
So you have so much wealth of information to share. Let me go back to one of the statements you made about not being a team player. How did you discover that blind spot? Did someone just tell you, hey, Darren, you're not a team player or or was it something else? Great question. You know, I actually signed up for a one-year leadership course that I paid for tuition. And during the the one-year leadership program, it was all done virtually, we had to work in virtual teams and we had to be open to constructive feedback. That's one thing about being a leader is you've got to be open to criticism and feedback. Mm. And so in this, I call it a focus group, in this small group, this virtual pod that I was in on Zoom video conferencing, it was my turn to get feedback from the other people in my virtual pod that were in this leadership course. And they asked me how much would I rate myself on a scale from one to 10, 10 being the highest number, one being the lowest number, how effective I am as being a team player. And I said, well, I would give myself a seven out of 10. And the group, there was five, there was five or six of us in the group in total. All other five of them, the highest rating they gave me was a four out of 10. That was collectively four out of 10. And so I had a huge blind spot and I'm like, why? And so I was confronted, right? Like, boom, like, why? And they're like, well, consider that you're inauthentic and you're full of it. Like, why? And they go, you pretend you're a team player, but in fact, you want to do life by yourself. Wow. And that was a big breakthrough for me from my blind spot, realizing that I was disguising an inauthentic way of saying that I was a team player. In fact, I was not a team player. And that was the, the breakdown to the breakthrough in my life. Wow. And so obviously you must have been focused on what you're wanting to contribute to make it through that type of feedback. Absolutely. Yeah. And the cool thing is, is that I've discovered in my life is you want to get around people you respect and admire, mm. not people you're always having influence on. A lot of times managers, supervisors, team leaders, executive CEOs, you hang around with people where your comfort zone is. You hang around people you're always influencing, even in your neighborhoods, your fitness centers, your community centers where you live. You hang around with people you can always influence, social media, some of your social media media friends, you're always influencing those people. But to get to the next level, to level up and skill up, you got to get around people who you respect and admire who are going to cause you. Like my inner circle, for example, I'm always out of my comfort zone. Every day I'm out of my comfort zone. Every day I'm scared Hmm. because I'm on the edge all the time because they're always challenging me, my leadership and my character, my integrity to always level up and skill up. So a lot of times in my life, I don't feel like I'm even successful because I'm around people who are playing much bigger game. Like this year, I'm going to acquire 15 single family homes in my portfolio, right? But I was around somebody the other day that that they're buying a hundred and not that I'm trying to do a comparison, but they're just playing a bigger game because they want to serve humanity through their philanthropical ways. And so it's, it's, it's part of like, man, I got to get to a hundred. I'm just doing 15. And they're like, Darren, consider in the next couple of years, you'll be at a hundred, right? In terms of, because we're building all these income producing assets up to support global philanthropy. And so that's a key thing. And it's very, very powerful in that. So just being mindfully aware of that. Yeah. So, Darren, as we start to wrap up the show, I do have two more questions. One is, was your tough background what inspired you to become philanthropic? That's number one. And number two, what other tip or two do you have for leaders who feel like they're not succeeding right now because they're in crisis? The first thing is to dedicate your life to a cause greater than yourself. So the key thing is, is that I was having a conversation with someone yesterday, for example, a real estate broker. And I was saying to him, I said, do you have, I said, the big thing I want to see for you this year, he's got a large successful real estate broker. I said, you've got lifestyle income. Now I want to see you create life impact, life changing income, right? So Mm -hmm. the key thing is you want to dedicate your life to a cause greater than yourself. So for example, I'll give an example. This decade, I've dedicated a hundred million US dollars towards global philanthropy through Link Foundation, which is our private family foundation. Mm -hmm. So what I'm doing is I'm just mind master planning. I'm writing it on paper. I'm collaborating with people in mastermind groups. I'm working all it on paper, how I'm going to generate a hundred million dollars. Now here's the thing. 
when I first started doing this exercise, my mindset goes, that I have to do it all by myself. But what I discovered was creating teams and teamwork. And again, all of my results don't have to come from my actions. Mm-hmm. And that was a big breakthrough for me to discover that, that I can work with family offices and high net worth and ultra high net worth and other foundations and global philanthropy groups. And collectively together through joint ventures and street alliances, we can do this together to achieve $100 million towards global philanthropy projects. So that's where the speculation and the collaboration and the collective intelligence comes in to do that. Yeah. And where does your background come into this? The background comes in in terms of experience, perseverance, overcoming adversities, mindset, focus, because I have no formal education. I barely passed public high school. You know, I was in special education classes from grade one to grade 12 of my public life, a public school. So to me, where I'm really good at is I'm really good at connecting people and building relationships and enrolling people into the possibilities. And that just comes through a network of conversations because that's all we are is is everything we want in our lives is going to come from strangers. And the key thing is, is two questions I always ask myself. Number one is where am I not requesting in my life? So I'm always writing out in my journal. I'm taking a look of all the people in my network of associations. Where am I not requesting these people? So where am I not requesting? And I confront myself. I do an audit on myself. Where am I not requesting? And then question number two is, who do I become as a human being? Who do I become when I'm not requesting? And what I, what I become is I contract, I play small. I'm not thinking big. I'm coming from lack and scarcity versus abundance and prosperity. And so the key thing is so many people out there urgent are waiting for an invitation. They're looking to do something. They're looking to to be a bigger contribution to their family, to themselves, to their children, to their community, to their neighborhoods. They're waiting for an invitation. So I'm just a demand for making requests all the time to people. In fact, I'm writing a book right now. And one of the things we're going to do on social media with LinkedIn and Facebook is I'm going to start creating focus groups on my social media pages, have somebody else run it and facilitate it who wants to have that coaching role. And we're going to have focus groups to give feedback on me creating this book. I've had over 300 publishers in the last 25 years approach me to write in a book. Over 300 publishers turned them all down because they didn't want to write a book. And finally, in the last 12 months, it came to me and says, Darren, you're getting older. You've got a lot of wisdom. You've got a lot of experience. You've created, created an incredible, extraordinary life that most people could ever dream about. It's time to pay it forward and pass it on and make a difference. So I've got a team that's ghostwriting the book and it'll be out in six months. Fantastic. Well, I am so grateful that I invited you to be on the show and you chose to accept. And I'm definitely looking forward to your book. And I know that if anyone wants to know more about you, it's uh, DarrenJacklin.com and I'll put that in the description. But Darren, thank you for, again, continuing to go despite all the early year adversities and, and even current ones that you're facing. And there's a quote that I found via looking at your philanthropic cause. And it says, and this is from you, no single skill has a more powerful impact on results than the ability to eliminate distractions and focus on high leverage activities. Mm -hmm. So thank you for being here today. And thank you for focusing the way you do. I'm grateful to be here in service. And thank you so much for the invitation to be here. 